what does it look like to reimagine a computer if it was healthier? The frame that came to mind for me is like, a computer is evolutionarily mismatched. We're used to full spectrum light. All we're getting is blue light that's also messing up our circadian rhythms. It's, it's just mismatched to the way we've evolved, the ergonomics of it being stuck indoors. I, I was just laughed out of every room. People just looked at me and they said, people want to be addicted. I ended up just using my life savings to, to fund us. We got nobody who was willing to fund us. Yeah, we, uh, we went bankrupt. There's just like, isn't a value system around health. There isn't a value system around cognitive sovereignty. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today, we have a really exciting chat for you. Uh, we have Anjan on the line, the founder, inventor of Daylight Computer, which is the world's first non-blue lit laptop and computer. So really stoked about this. I know Ryan and I wanted to talk to you since we heard Jack bring you up on our podcast. So yeah, man, how's it going? It's going. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm excited, but I'm a little sad because if I get this like non-blue light computer, how am I supposed to be addicted to it? Yeah, I guess that's the benefit—the benefit of bettering technology. So maybe we start with a little backstory. Um, it's not every day that people want to completely, you know, build an entirely new piece of technology that's better for our health. I mean, it's fantastic, and it's really exciting that you know there's actually people working on solutions. Because if we don't have a solution for people, they're just going to keep using the same harmful technology. And we're going to get into the light piece, the EMF piece. But yeah, really what inspired you, Anjan, to go down this path uh, and kind of leave, I guess, the centralized technology world? Uh, to give the short story, a lot of suffering. <laughs> to give a little bit of a, uh, a longer story, I, I, um, I just had an absolutely toxic relationship with technology. And I, I grew up in Canada. Um, in a small town called Sudbury, and there was very little to do. So I got really into computers and technology, stuff like that at a pretty early age. And so this thing, this, this was my muse. This was my main way of relating to the world. And it was my most important non-human relationship. At times, maybe it sometimes felt even more important. And um, I think because... I'm so intensely ADHD. <laughs> Everything that a computer does to, to be addicting and distracting just got super amplified. Um, I'm susceptible to SAD and I have low vitamin D levels if I spend times indoors. Being stuck inside and then just getting irradiated with blue light all the time, I think I was just extremely susceptible to that as well and so uh, I just remember it hitting some a really it started hitting a really tough point while I was in college and uh, I was just extremely depressed I just get tired and lethargic and 
My, I, I had such bad eye strain from screens that they screened me for glaucoma. My ocular pressures were high. And so I kind of, I, I, w- I went to, I went to Stanford for university in the middle of Silicon Valley thinking that computers and technology, that, that's, that's my calling. That's, that's the thing that gets me so excited. And, uh, I saw like pictures of Nolan Bushnell and the founders of Atari, and they were just these like crazy irreverent inventors. And I was like, that, that, that's what I want to do. Something creative, something that will change things. And that's kind of what technology inspired me to be. And so while I was having these personal struggles, I was also experiencing this kind of like disillusionment with, uh, I was expecting Silicon Valley to be this place of innovation and openness to new ideas and ambitious things. And in practice, uh, I was there just after Instagram got sold to Facebook. It was like the Goldman Sachs bankers and the McKinsey people and the pre-med people were like, oh, entrepreneurship's this cool thing. And it was such a different culture. It was like a, a rational, this is going to get me rich and this is going to make me popular. Uh, this, is, this is the cool, socially accepted choice to do. And it was all just, let's make a derivative software app because that's, uh, that's going to get us rich. And that's, that's, that's fine to each his own. But to me, that's like, wait, this was supposed to be the place in the world where the weirdos could do crazy ideas and big things. And so while I was like just struggling with my relationship to my computer, I, I started to be like, this isn't a place where you can work on deep and big ideas. This is, this is a place where it's get rich, but just happens to be through software. And so I, uh, I was very disillusioned by Silicon Valley. And I tried to work on medical technologies at the time as well. I was very passionate about trying to solve uh, health issues, not necessarily my personal ones with computers, but uh, stroke and back pain and things like that. And uh, it's very difficult to the, the whole process of clinical trials and insurance reimbursement. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a total, it's a total nightmare trying to make an actual medical device or medical tech. So but most of my ideas in that department failed. So I, I, I kind of said, screw it to Silicon Valley and went backpacking for a year and a half, almost two years, and uh, just decided I wanted to, to get away and just see what the real world's like. And uh, spent a lot of time outdoors. Uh, it was in Indonesia and India and Vietnam. And I just felt so much better. I felt so much better being in nature, being away from big cities, being outside, spending most of my day morning sunrise to sunset outside. And uh, it, I was even more frustrated that I was stuck inside on my laptop because I couldn't really use my screen outside. I, can't, I couldn't really see it. And so I was like, dude, why? Why? I'm in the most beautiful place in the world. It's a gorgeous island. Um, we're just trying to read something. Why, like, why can't I be outside? This is why, why, why is my life dictated by the constraints of a computer? Like, the whole point of technology is like, let us have the life's livelihoods we want. And yet it's, it's constricting us. And so that kind of was another, another thing that percolated in me and uh, came back uh, home to what was Vancouver then. And lived in my parents' basement, and uh, Vancouver is very gray and rainy. And uh, just to save money, I was in my parents' basement because I had no idea what I was going to do. I read all these random books, how the universe works, while traveling, and uh, I I took for granted again uh, the sun and what it's like. And I just went into this deep, deep depression. I was on on my computer for like fourteen hours a day. Um, I was just 
my sleep schedule was totally messed up. I'd sleep at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., get up at 2 or 3, can't get lunch with people. I'm tired. My circadian rhythms were screwed. And I got super, super depressed uh, to the point of I was suicidal. I didn't want to keep going. And so that's kind of what the origin of this was, is I, I finally hit rock bottom. And in desperation, I was like, "There's this can't, this can't be just happening to me. And this can't just be entirely my fault. Like, why, why is this thing that's supposed to be my relationship to the world hurting me so much? Kind of just putting all these experiences together. Uh, it was like, what does it look like to reimagine a computer if it was healthier? Um, the frame that came to mind for me is like, a computer is evolutionarily mismatched. It's not, our ocular system is made for looking at reflective objects in the world, matte reflective objects. We don't look at the stars or the sun directly all day. Yet, that's what a screen is. It's an emissive object. We're used to full-spectrum light. All we're getting is blue light that's also messing up our circadian rhythms. It's, it's just mismatched to the way we've evolved, the ergonomics of it being stuck indoors. Even the software, what makes the software so distracting is the little red dots and the notifications. Well, that's exactly what our visual cognitive system is. Oh, that's a berry. Oh, that's something of interest. And they're taking our tracking response and they're using it to be able to hold on to our attention. And it's just, it's just taking advantage of the mismatch between what we've evolved for. And so that started to be the vision. Like, what would a computer that worked backwards from our physiology, from the way we've evolved, and what were the most important things to make a difference on? Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. Now, that's awesome. It's actually really interesting hearing your story. Um, and it really made me draw a lot of parallels to, well, many friends of mine, but also my own because I've always worked in social media in some capacity, whether that's a social media manager or producing content or both or doing my own things. And what I've noticed is like, like you said, your experience in Silicon Valley and this idea of entrepreneurship as a way of freedom suddenly became a way of being enslaved to the very technology that you thought would allow you to be free. And I noticed this meeting other people at the time for me in the YouTube space that were making videos and all these grandiose, um, beautifully done edit and p editing uh, and pieces of work. But what, at what cost? Because I began to see many friends of mine who were seeing major success online suffer from a lot of the things that you felt within yourself because of the way their job enslaved them to constantly needing to be inside, constantly needing to be on the screen. And we're seeing that kind of take over in all facets of life, even on sort of a, no, a normie scale um, with, with the way kids learn today on tablets, in schools, on computers, more and more ever so, constantly under a blue lit environment that is completely, like you said, mismatch. And it's very funny when you mentioned the psychological component of like red notification boxes and pop-ups, because when I was uh, working very heavily, uh, even, even recently, now in the uh, YouTube space, I just came from giving a talk about how to make basically viral vertical videos 
uh, for clients that are trying to build channels. And the funny discussions around that is using your knowledge of psychology as you build a thumbnail or a cover image in a way to trick someone to click on it. And it's always frustrated me on uh, on like a, a theological level of or ideological level of like, I don't want to be somebody that's tricking people to watch things because you're basically being a marketer, right? With, with all this stuff. But it's, it's fascinating because like you said, we've designed everything in such a mismatched way. And I think a lot of people that are higher up probably know uh, the ramification to a degree. And you'd probably could enlighten us more a little bit, but what you're doing is so contrary to the common realm of belief on, on creating uh, tech. What, I definitely see how you got to where you were, but what I'd love to hear about some of the struggles along the way, just on an, just on like a psychological level that you might've had like pitching this idea. Cause I'm assuming you have, um, and trying to get other people on board with it because it's so counterintuitive to what everyone's goals are in the tech space to get people to sort of use it more. Like the whole idea with platform, I was explaining this to clients this morning was you want, every platform wants the same thing. They want you there longer. They want you there only there. And so how do you get them to stay on the platform? And so it's so counterintuitive, like what's probably good for you and your health. (laughs) So I'd love to hear sort of like how people were receptive to your new idea of like, what if we actually made something that was biologically consistent or more so? Because to me, it's like it creates this uh, sort of uh, uh, irritation with the way things have been built. I was was naive. I was like, there's something called a computer history museum there where Tristan used to work in Mountain View. And uh, I would go there and just spend the entire day. And I was just fascinated by the history of how computers evolved and how we got to today. And I was like, that that's what Silicon Valley is about. It's making the future of the computer. It's about making these tools that can augment us, help us, lift us up. And so I went around thinking like, everybody's going to get my idea, a uh, healthier computer. Um, I could say a little bit more about the actual process of inventing it and what that was like. But to kind of answer your question more directly, uh, I, I was just laughed out of every room. Uh, I was stunned. Just pe- people just looked at me and they said, want to be addicted. People want to be addicted. And I was like, what? I was like, no, people want to do better in their lives. They want to lift themselves up. And just the level of cynicism that's behind a lot of this technology. I don't think the people behind it is bad. Or, or they're, I don't think they're bad people. It's, it's easy to be like they're bad people. I think more it's just there. there's a cynicism. There's just like a deep lack of trust in the sovereignty and agency and like will of a human to do good and be better and evolve. I, I, I just got laughed. I, I think I pitched over 150 times and uh, I, I, every single venture capital firm just rejected me. And the, they were like, are you kidding me? Making a computer? That's insane. Apple has thousands and thousands and thousands of engineers. Samsung has thousands and thousands and thousands of engineers. Who are you and some random person to be able to do this? I was like, well, that's the point of a startup, trying to do something unlikely. Yeah, we, we most likely are going to fail, but somebody's got to take a swing at this. And I was like, that's that's what the history of this place is, is, is taking big swings to make new computers. And they're like, sorry, man. 
I want to invest in a SaaS software company that's going to return me X and uh, that not one VC. Uh, I wish it was just we, we got rejected. I just, I just remember this smug grins on their face when I was like, it's time, it's possible. I, the, the kind of insight was Moore's law has gotten to the point where computers don't need to compete because you need billions of dollars to build the next new chip. It's possible to have a different value system to reinvent computers because it's not all about, oh, who's got the fastest chip? It doesn't matter anymore. And I just remember the, the smug grin on some of these people's faces like, yeah, right, a healthier computer? He's like, no, people buy stuff because it's sexy. People buy stuff because it's ooh-la-la and shiny. And people buy stuff because uh, they want to be distracted. They want to be addicted. And uh, no, we're not going to fund a crazy endeavor to make a new computer. And so uh, I ended up just using my life savings to, to fund us. We got nobody who was willing to fund us. And uh, it got to the point where I was just trying to develop a prototype, show some proof that uh, some of the ideas I had about making a better computer could work. Yeah, we, uh, we went bankrupt in the process. And uh, it's, actually, it's actually really interesting. That we, we, we ran out of money and uh, we, we were like, what the hell are we going to do? And actually, the way we were able to, to keep going for another month, and we finally got one uh, angel investor, was somebody... Somebody gave us a Bitcoin <laughs> uh, to, 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 to keep us going. <laughs> so it's interesting, the history of how this all interacts together. Um, but uh, this was just the investor side of things. It was, uh, it was very brutal on the supply chain side of things. Um, they just could not understand why. They're like, wait, People buy computers because they're sexy. There's more colors to them. They're brighter and shinier. They're like, why, why would you want to make a more boring computer? And uh, it, it didn't really occur to me because I, I think it's a big part of me that there's just like isn't a value system around health. There isn't a value system around cognitive sovereignty. And it uh, just blew my mind where it's not even about business propositions. It's just like a philosophical mismatch. Um and so almost all the factories and suppliers in Taiwan and Korea and Japan and China, I spent a lot of time running around uh, using air miles because I couldn't afford it otherwise and uh, just, just totally got rejected. And so it, it, was, a re it was a really brutal journey. It took from mid-2018 uh, and we're, we're about to launch now. So it's almost been five years in the whole process. But it took uh, almost to the end of 2021 to create our first prototype. So it was, it was not an easy journey. I don't think I would have started it if I knew how hard it would have been. I, I, I came up with the idea at the beginning of 2019. I started mid-2018, did about, you know, just researched like crazy for eight months, uh, uh, even longer maybe. And uh, I, thought, I thought it would be a year. No, it's, it's a lot harder. Yeah, that well, that's incredible. I, I I almost want to kind of like harp on that feedback you got from the from the VC, the venture capitalist, because it really to me highlights what's so wrong about the incentive structure in our centralized world, right? Like 
this technology is designed to be addictive. It's designed to be your cheap dopamine hit. And they know that, right? Like it's, this isn't a secret now and all your data is going to CTIA and people maybe like 0.01% of people are starting to realize that this is potentially not great for their health. But 99.9% of people, they have no idea. It's such an inconvenient truth that even if you show them all the research studies on light and EMFs, they just don't, like, it's just not going to click because they don't, it's way too inconvenient for them. But eventually there's a breaking point with people's health. And that's, I guess, what set you up in the first place was you kind of had these preconceived notions and, you know, health issues that seemed wrong, right? And they do. And it's kind of how I felt as well. And I went to make brain injuries. It was like, for some reason, when I spend more time in nature, I just feel better. And everything I've done since then has just been, you know, pushing that me message into the sand, into the ground deeper and deeper. Like that is really what it's all about. And the closer we can live to nature, the better we're going to feel. But our technology our technology just severs that connection so strongly. And everyone always asks me, well, there's nothing, you know, we can do, you know, but there is actually. And as someone who's worked in semiconductors for five years, I can tell you that it really is a monopoly. It really is so hard to break through. And they're almost just coasting on the initial innovative success. Like you said, there's, there's no motivation to really innovate. And I also think that's a byproduct of, of fiat money. And we've podcast, I podcasted with Jimmy Song, who talks about this as well. We should have way more innovation, but really, they don't need to. They, they just churn out like a minor software update or a, a minor hardware improvement. The camera, the battery gets like slightly better, just, just enough, just better enough to keep you coming back for more. And when someone goes in like yourself and truly disrupt something makes a better product that is also better for our health you know it's just completely dismissed so that that's amazing that you got by on on one bitcoin i'm not surprised to hear that it took you this long especially during the supply chain nightmares of 2021 2022 in the semiconductor world because i i lived and breathed that as well <laughs> it was a fun time but you know what made you really persevere through through all of this? Um, you know, was there a few people who, who kind of like really inspired you to keep going? Did you realize how important it is for human health? Like what really took you to the point where you're at right now? Are you self-employed or a small business owner and are tired of paying hundreds of dollars a month to centralized health insurance companies for minimal coverage because there is no alternative? Well, I have good news for you. There is. And this podcast is brought to you by CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a more decentralized alternative to health insurance, and it uses community and crowdfunding to help its members pay for emergencies when they do happen. They incentivize and prioritize health and personal responsibility and share the thought that you should really only be using the centralized healthcare system when emergencies do happen. This is what I am on board with, and I have personally signed up for CrowdHealth since I left the corporate engineering world and the medical benefits that come with it. If you want to learn more, you can check out our episode with CEO and founder Andy Schoonover, or you can head over to joincrowdhealth.com and use code DRADIO, D-R-A-D-I-O, when you sign up to get a discounted rate of only $99 for the first three months. 
Centralized healthcare is one of the biggest issues in our society today, and I really love what CrowdHealth is doing to provide an alternative for people who care. Um, I don't think I'd be here if it wasn't for the mentors along the way. Uh, I got this very difficult times. I was still using, you know, in trying to make a healthier computer, I was still using conventional computers and they still were affecting me. <laughs> so I was still depressed at times, struggling. I, yeah, if I, I had, had four or five mentors who were like family to me and it just reminded me of why I did this in the first place. And uh, I, I wasn't doing this to make money. I wasn't doing this because it would be something easy. I, I knew that there's there a 95% chance of failing, if not higher. And I wanted to do it in spite of it. It's just, it's what I believe the world should have. And so just reminding me that it's okay that it's hard. There's a reason this doesn't exist in the world. And um, I love to say it's like some like noble idealistic stuff too, but dude, it was like, it's a lot of like anger. I, I was like, fuck you guys. Like, fuck this cynicism. Like, this is, you guys are nice people, but this is, like, actually straight-up elitist. The idea that, like, oh, the plebs are just, they just want to be addicted. They're never going to make the right choices. They're just going to fall for marketing. I couldn't believe that's their, that's that's what they think humanity is. That, that to me, is elitism. Is not believing in the sovereignty of somebody else to get educated and make right choices and improve their lives. They don't need you to improve their lives like give me a break and so i was just so angry but what i thought was all these relatively nice nerdy people in tech who were just systematically not doing good because of these like bankrupt philosophy that were essentially just cynical they were just like heartbroken they, they just they were just heartbroken about the prospect of people and I, it just made me so angry that this is why the world is the way it is um, I, sure, there's all these incentives, uh, the, the, the problems of the existing monetary system and capital structures and so on. But just to kind of see that it was like a lack of a heart, a lack of will, um, that just hit me so hard because I knew how much it affected me. And um, I've joked to friends, it's like I am, it's like I was built by God to be like, like perfectly maladapted to existing technology like uh, the just my, my my brain the adhd it's like and tabs it's like i have 900 tabs it just destroys me my my susceptibility to blue light and how much my circadian rhythm fluctuates how much i need natural sunlight and it really affects my mood and the eye strain that i experienced it's, it's it's as if i was meant to be this canary in the coal mine more than an outlier and so i just it just hurt man and uh I just it just drove me. I was angry. I was like a bitter, angry person. I'm slowly coming around to you know it's nothing personal. Uh, you might still hear that in me. I still got this frustration, anger. But uh, there was this one time, uh, if I could share the story, uh, when we were we were literally a week from running out of money, and uh, I was going around. I, I had no success with any of the venture capitalists. So I was like, okay, uh, maybe maybe we'll. We'll find some entrepreneurs. You know, they they got the spirit too. Some of them, at least, some of them must feel like they, somebody's got to do this. And uh, I won't name the company, but it was a unicorn, big, famous company. I met the founders, and uh, they were super jazzed, super into the idea. It was synergistic with their existing business. They loved, they loved the pro, the, the concept that for their kids, this is the type of computer they would want. And 
I was like, do you think you can invest in us or introduce me to some investors? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say this. I'm, I'm desperate. Like in a, in a week, we will not exist. I will not have any money left. And uh, I don't know how much is actually what he did because I, I the words warp, like <laughs> what distorted the reality in front of me. But basically he just told me, he's like, you know, if I'm perfectly honest, it's kind of in my incentive to not help you right now and wait for you to go bankrupt and then acquire you guys to, to join our company. That's fucking crazy. But it's not a surprise, man. You know, that's how these that's how the corporate world is. People think it's like some nice, you know, standard way of doing business. It's not. Like it's cutthroat. And I love to hear that story. I mean, that anger, it's good, right? Like, I mean, I think I had a lot of my best moments as well when I got my brain injuries, I was pissed off. My neurologist told me there was nothing I could do. I said, what the fuck do you mean there's nothing I can do? I literally, in 23 years old, I'm not going to feel like this for the rest of my life. So I think it's good. And anger can be very powerful if you harness that energy and use it to propel you forward, which is exactly what you did. And that's incredible. So power to you for doing that. And it just sheds a light on, again, everything that's wrong with the incentive structure and just the, the the corporate venture capitalist world that we live in. It's so it's such malintent. And yeah, there's all these schemes where they could just, yeah, wait for you to go bankrupt and then scoop you up and then, you know, ring you for all you have in terms of worth. But yeah, so so how did you make it through that moment? Um somebody gave us a, a Bitcoin that kept us afloat for couple weeks and then actually it was another crypto investor who was the first person who was like you know what i made money so crazy ambitious stuff can exist i'll back you guys and uh, he introduced us to a couple other were people you at- were yeah were you open to like bitcoin and like stuff back then or did that kind of just happen to be in that world because to me that's really again it goes back to the money and i i you know, that's why I've started my decentralized health fund. Like, I think Bitcoiners are going to be the ones that fund everything. We're going to have to literally create an entire system outside of the centralized world. But the only way we will be able to do that is by having more wealth. And yeah, like that's that mindset right there. It's like you want to acquire wealth to fix the world. All these other dudes, they're, you know, multimillionaires and they just want to acquire more money so that they can have more money. So it's like a completely different mindset. But I'm I'm curious, you know, were you already like a Bitcoiner or was that like your first major introduction to it? Uh, my dad, my dad was like a communist in college and then he became like a, a libertarian, like, in, like kind of the opposite. So our house had like the Mises Institute stuff. They, they had free books that we'd print out. So we had Rothbard. And uh, so we, we were pretty early to Bitcoin. Uh, just because of the, from the Austrian angle, but I kind of lost the thread along the way when I went through all these uh, struggles and difficulties, and so it, it was. It's only been uh, kind of from that time back. I was like, wait a minute, I forgot what the spirit is. One thing I was going to actually ask too is like, when you get on this journey, like I, because it's kind of like flipping things on its head a little bit as far as like the tech of the screen goes. How did you approach designing the laptop in the first place? Like where kind of walk us through the process. And of course, I'm sure it's like a very long drawn out process, but I'd love to hear sort of just like 
how you guys went about that because you knew what you needed to do. You had the knowledge base around the biological ramification of how systems are already working and some say against us. So how did you work around reverse engineering that to trying to make it more anabolic for us? And just to quickly clarify, it's a, the first product's a tablet. The laptop's going to be the second product that we come out with. So, but, Yeah, yeah. Um, it, was a, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of rabbit holing. Uh, in many ways, I've suffered because of that ADHD tendency to rabbit hole. But in this case, it like, worked out for good. And, and getting, to be honest, like, super lucky. So uh, the story is existing computers, they're called emissive displays because they emit light. That's how they work. And that's why you can't see them outside because they're competing with the sun. They're, they're what's conventional. And there is an actual long ago neglected other type of computer display uh, back in like the 80s was like had a lot of interesting research and it just completely got wiped out by emissive screens because emissive screens are more beautiful. They're brighter. The colors are more saturated. Uh, and the second category are called reflective screen. And their basic principle is instead of shining light into your eyes, let's replicate the principle that normal physical objects use, which is they reflect the light source into your eyes. So that's why when you're reading a paper book, you turn off the lights, you can't see it because it's not emitting any light. It's just reflecting the light that's coming from your light source, whether it's the sun or a light bulb. And so you can, there was a whole area of research of making computers that are reflective and it just died out. Um, there was some like kind of flaws with the technology, but it mainly died out because it wasn't as sexy. You, you couldn't make with a reflective screen as as as, as beautiful a screen as emissive. Uh, and so I kind of was getting really curious about this because I was like, wait a minute, what if this was just thrown in the trash? Not because it was bad, but because once again, it was just a different mismatched value system. Uh, what if this actually much better solve the problems of evolutionary mismatch? What if this actually was a healthier substrate for making computers? And I don't value sexiness as much as I value health. I don't value saturated colors as much as I, like, I value my cognitive sovereignty and actually being able to own my own attention and not be addicted and distracted. lit. And so I was like, holy crap, the main thing I want to first fix on a computer is lighting. Uh, the mismatch also happens for EMFs, for ergonomics. There's a, a from software to hardware. I wanted to go through the whole stack, but kind of realizing how hard even doing one little thing is. I was like, okay, the only way we can succeed is I'm going to focus. So I'm just going to focus on light because that's the thing that I, I feel personally most affects me. And I was like, wow, a reflective screen, kind of like paper. You can use it outdoors in the sun. It doesn't emit its own light, so it doesn't produce blue light, uh, and it, and it still is a computer. You can still do all email and browse and web and this and that. And so um, I started to get really excited. I was like, what the hell? The, the entire industry has totally left this behind. Like, I, I care about health. This, this is viable. And um, the luck here was there was, a, there was a bunch of flaws in the technology as well that had kept it behind. And basically a bunch of professors in, in Japan had, had kept uh, whacking away at it. America had given up and there was a couple – people in the Netherlands, but basically the world had given up on it. And they had published some papers in 2015, 2017, and at the end of 2018, that kind of solved some of these key technical problems. Um, and so I was researching this mid-2018 onwards, and I came across the paper at the beginning of 2019. And so if I'd even started two years before, I wouldn't have been able to come across that. It's just like, 
I don't know. It's almost like the universe wants some of these things to exist at a certain point. And so the paper came out almost exactly when I was researching. I got super lucky. And so the, the flaws of these old reflective screen technologies were solved by these papers. And so I kind of was put two and two together and was like, if you can kind of create a sandwich of these Japanese technologies and these old screen technologies, and you put that together, it might be possible to make a viable reflective computer display that is blue light free, uh, that can be used in the sun, that doesn't strain your eyes the same way. And so that was kind of the wild goose chase that uh, I followed. And it took it took uh, almost two years before I had my first prototype that showed, oh, ooh, it's possible. And it's taken another two years to get that into production. So how is this different from like a Amazon Kindle screen? Um, that's something that I've, you know, the only other example I can think of is a Kindle where you could actually read a screen like outside. Are they using something similar? And then maybe we can get into the details of, yeah, exactly what, yeah, maybe what that technical problem was. What have you been doing? I mean, you don't have to share too much, but I'm just curious, you know, what, what has really been the biggest help for you in terms of getting this solved? Right. Um, so the, the Kindle is like the one reflective screen that's kind of survived. Every, everything else is emissive, whether it's OLED or LCD or yeah. so on. The, the Kindle is the one reflective screen. And so I, I, I love my Kindle and Kindle was a big inspiration for this project. The problem is the Kindle technology e-ink. Um, it has an, inter- an inherent material science limitation where the screen cannot refresh very fast. Like literally from frame to frame happens so slowly that it's basically not possible to do anything on it outside of really reading books. Uh, you know, you're flipping a page every minute. It, it, that, that's fine. And that's why Kindle kind of works. Um, but if you want to use it for for video calls, for browsing, for email, for Google Docs, for kind of the rest of the things I do on a computer, it's just not fast enough. You can't search, you can't type, you can't scroll. Uh, you can't pan, you can't zoom. And so e-ink has kind of just been relegated to this niche of just reading books. And that's kind of, and so the, the, the insight here was if you could solve the refresh rate problem, you could unniche reflective screens. And so that's kind of, you can think of a Kindle refreshes at one or two FPS, two frames per second. Um, what we've developed goes 60 to 120. So it's almost... 60 times faster. And so you can kind of think about it as a, as a Kindle that is able to operate like your iPad. Interesting. Oh man, keep dropping my mic. Because like for me, one of the things about it is like, for actually this, you brought it up earlier in the podcast because one of my biggest issues with working out um, using a computer outside is like the screen's brightness. Like it's very easy to not be able to see what you're doing outside. And so, like you said, you kind of have to bring, like technology kind of forces you to come inside in order to have like optimal viewing, especially when you're doing stuff that's intricate. So is that like what you were mentioning, like with the Kindle screen and stuff like that? Because I know that was designed in a way that you could read it out. Is that kind of how you guys approached it was like, how can this be used in an outdoor environment as well as an indoor environment? Exactly. The Kindle is a reflective display and just it was... Mm. Oh wow! The qualities of a reflective display are what we are. Our ocular system is matched for, which is a reflective object that you can see outside of the sun that isn't emitting its own light. And so, even 
we ended up finding a way of putting tiny little holes in it as well. So we have a, a flicker-free zero blue light amber uh, backlight that you can optionally use at nighttime. Uh, and so you can use it at nighttime too with a blue light or flicker. But uh, yeah, it's basically I was you, one way to argue. It's not really how we came up with it, but one way to argue what we've done is we've unniched the Kindle technology so it can be used for much more of computing rather than just reading books. And you get those qualities of being able to use it outdoors, uh, not not emitting blue light itself, easier on the eyes. So getting into that amber backlight a little bit, because I think that's important as well. I mean, the reflectivity of the screen during the sun, like outside, is amazing. Um, but, you know, a big problem with LEDs is they're not great in the red, infrared range. And, you know, I've, I've read into like Scott Zimmerman's work. We'll probably have him on the podcast soon. But... You know, how did you solve that problem from an LED, like a lighting perspective based on the technology that's available? And maybe what would you like to see in terms of progress from that side of things as well? Artificial blue light from technology is destroying our health. It disrupts melatonin production, sleep quality, and our circadian rhythms, which has been linked to pretty much all chronic disease. It also rewires our dopamine reward system, which makes it addictive by design. That is why I'm so thankful to have found the Daylight Computer, the first company in the world making a computer that has a blue light free screen. They use paper reflective screen technology, so it's blue light free, flicker free, eye strain free, and is easily used outdoors so you can use technology while getting the benefits of full spectrum sunlight. Their Daylight tablet is now available for pre-order at daylightcomputer.com and you can go to their website at buy.daylightcomputer.com slash dradio for more information. Well, you bring up Scott's work and that, that to me um, highlights how much progress is left to be made. There's so many things we can do to improve lighting. Uh, from changing its distribution to changing the wavelengths to get into infrared, UV, and so on. Um, so the key, the key kind of innovation we did there was, uh, since, since you you work in electronics, I think you might appreciate this. Is most displays, um, the entire kind of supply chain is set up around PWM, pulse width modulation, uh, flicker essentially, and that's how you change brightness. Is you change the frequency of flicker. Um, and it's easier from an electronics point of view to be able to do that. Clearly, from a health point of view, it's much worse. So I wanted to make something that was flicker-free. And the core, the core invention there was actually more of less of an invention and more of just like willpower, which was there is not really a supply chain for DC direct current, DC dimming. And so every aspect of the supply chain, uh, the, the firmware, the board, the LEDs, the packaging, it's all set up for an existing PWM stack. And that's kind of why the path least resistance, everybody does that. And so I didn't appreciate, it's not, I thought it was just like a little step to the side. I didn't appreciate how big of a difference it is because every aspect of the stack needs to be redone by yourself because it's not really out there in the market to be able to do DC. And so we had to find a total different driving chip. We had to find a, a different circuit uh, and we had to redo the firmware ourselves, match the LEDs. And so that, that, that was kind of how we were able to do flicker free. Uh, but I can understand why this doesn't really exist conventionally. It's quite a bit of work to make that work. And the, the zero 
the zero blue aspect, uh, we, we accomplish that through just really high efficiency phosphors that are optimized for the warm spectrum. So we really wanted to get 620 nanometer, 680 nanometer. Um, we get a little bit of 720, not, not that much. So that's, that's, that was really, we, we felt we really did not want to get, it, not only not get blue, but try to get some of those reds in as well. And what progress in the future looks like is being able to get 720, 780, um, 760, 860 nanometers, some of these healing infrared frequencies. So we're not just removing junk light. We're going to be able to add healing frequencies. And I think that's extremely powerful because you could be doing, you know, the New York Times crossword puzzle on it and you're getting basically infrared light treatment uh, at a close distance as well, which, which increases the efficacy. And so I think, I think that could be really powerful because potentially every kid out there, rather than getting irradiated with blue light, could be getting healing infrared light um, while they're just you know, playing a game. You don't need to worry about them trying to sit in front of some big grid. So. Yeah, yeah. I, we can get into maybe the IC specifics because I'm I'm really curious on all that stuff. The, yeah, the PWM. People don't understand how bad like pulse width modulation is for for EMFs, and then you you mentioned as well for controlling the flicker. So I'm really curious on that. But before we dive into the very technical electronic stuff, um, so is it basically? And again, the for people who don't know, like phosphorus is used to create like warmer. Um, light typically um, in general. So putting that in the LEDs. So is that purely just a manufacturing limitation? And that's why you chose those wavelengths is because it just doesn't, it just doesn't exist. Or what's, what's the real, like, yeah, what, what's needed there to get into the infrared spectrum more? Is it just like a priority and investment or is it an actual technological limitation in terms of how they're actually creating the LED from a semiconductor perspective? Um, it's, it's a couple of things. So one is you can buy light bulbs that are blue light free. Um, and they also have a certain phosphor mix that allows them to do it. The difficulty is the LEDs that are inside electronics are really tiny. They're super small. And so you need a different approach to be able to, to be able to make them. The phosphors have to be slightly different. The packaging has to be different. And so that was the difficulty is there isn't an existing supply chain where you can go and buy uh, backlight LEDs that are this. So we had to uh, make a custom LED. It's our own phosphor recipe. It's not that unique. It's similar to what you would have in the light bulb. But what was unique is applying it into the context of consumer electronics and backlight. And so, uh, and then the second aspect is because like a Kindle, our, our, our e-paper display is black and white. You're okay using an amber warm spectrum. While a conventional computer, they're aiming for Candy Crush. And so they want to replicate all the colors perfectly. And so that's why they use a white LED, which has a lot of blue light, because it replicates colors with high saturation, high fidelity. And if you were to use an actual hardware amber LED, then your colors would be off. So that's why Iris and Flux and things like that, they're just doing it at the software level. But since we're black and white, we don't need to worry about color fidelity. We actually, at the hardware level, could block blue light, which is much higher efficiency. You block 99.99%. I mean, that's pretty cool. I'm all down for that. I guess like the biggest thing for me is like, how do we 
how 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 do we get the information out there to enough people to make it a relevant thing for people to want on a consumer level? Obviously, esoterically, like with people like us, you got a market like down, and probably that's where you want to go anyways because it's people that genuinely care about their health and well-being and stuff like that and are very focused on those aspects. But I just think about really, I mean, it's on a, on a, on a more grandiose level, there's so much potential because like for me, the biggest problem with screens aren't necessarily, obviously like what it's doing to me. Like I've, I've felt it, like I explained earlier on the podcast, but it's sort of like in younger, uh, younger generations where brains are like not fully myelinated and you have all this developmental stuff that's going on uh, as a child in your teens and even young adulthood that now are so subjected to this on such a level that's never been seen before and only seems like it'll get worse. It's sort of like, how do we make it apparent? Obviously, podcasts like this and, and informational, but it's sort of those things where it's like, maybe it's one of those things I have to let go of the idea of it being on a mass scale. Or I'd love to know sort of like, what are you, are you doing on your side to, to expand that message um, beyond just kind of talking to people like us and stuff like that. Because I, I think it's really important. I feel like the potential is so big that it's like, why wouldn't you want to do it? Obvious reasons. We talked about them earlier for the people that turned you away. But I'd love to just hear, hear your input on that because I'm sure you've thought about it. It's like, how can I take this to the next level? If you want to talk about EMF mitigation products that actually work, you want to talk about EMF safe. EMF Safe makes a power kill switch that can be installed in your power distribution panel that is safe and convenient and works via a remote control to kill the power to specific circuits of your choosing in your home. This is really important and effective in terms of EMF mitigation because it eliminates the source of EMFs by cutting the power. This is a perfect product to have if you really want to improve your sleep quality and your body's ability to restore and repair from the day's damage. EMF safe can be configured to just cut the power in a specific circuit or bedroom and leave the more important areas of your house that are powering things like your refrigerator, your heating, your air conditioning on. This is the one product I would say is worth spending money on and EMF safe is there to support you in terms of installation and so am I if you have any questions via email. EMF safe also makes a body voltage kit that I use to measure my exposure to electric fields in my environment. You can go to liveemfsafe.com and use code DRADIO10 at checkout to get a 10% discount. That's D-R-A-I-D-I-O 10 at checkout to get a small discount at liveemfsafe.com. Honestly, we're, we're just starting to come out into the world and talk about this because we're finally in production, ready to, to, to launch in the next while. Uh, that's the market that m most gets me motivated. Because for us, sure, it makes a huge difference. But when it comes to kids, it's literally developmental. Uh, it's literally their brain is being, like, I love what Jack says. It's like brain surgery without a scalpel. Like you're, you're doing brain surgery in a bad way when you're just getting irradiated by blue light for all your early years when your brain is literally growing and migrating. And so I'm really hoping to find uh, through pe people who are kind of educated through quantum health and kind of realms like this, they understand how a, a negative the impact of blue light is that it's not just for sleep and circadian rhythms, but it's actual uh, brain development and metabolic function. I'd love to be able to 
basically get in front of moms who really care about this or other folks who are educating parents and things that that to me is something i really really want to get into i just need to find more people to talk to um get the word out amongst these communities yeah i think it's so important and and you mentioned the blue light aspect but you know the emf piece as well is is huge and i kind of want to get into that but but first it's like yeah the children they're so susceptible right i mean their body size, their water content. You mentioned um, the myelinating, uh, the unmyelinated biology, Ryan, and the developing brains. Uh, it's, it's just scary. And the fact that we can't even break through to a lot of people and we have to go and be like, hey, you're literally killing your kid's future by giving them an iPad at three years old. You know, it's it's kind of cynical in some regard, but we're we have to do this. We have to be kind of aggressive. And I'm thinking about ways to market, you know, the EMF content I'm putting out. And it is a good way to do it. It is, you know, I do want to make people feel guilty because they should. It's ridiculous. And now that we know that the mitochondrial DNA is mutating ten to hundred times faster they're going to be set up for failure by the time they're 18 if they've had a technology-first childhood and they're not going to be able to reproduce. They're not even going to be able to have a family. It's it's really scary. So I think that's why this is so important. But I want to get into kind of the nitty-gritty and, and maybe some of the EMF stuff. So, so you mentioned some innovation already on the PWM front and doing more of like a direct current um, control method. To me... The electronics piece, just being in this space, the amount of different EMFs, switching frequencies you have from things like power supplies, from MCUs. I mean, people don't realize that all what like what all goes into like a PCB that's in your computer. There is so many different bands of frequencies uh, that are emitting EMFs. And I'm curious how you kind of navigated that. Um, and what you've done and then what you would like to do to even improve it more. Like, are you using LDOs instead of bucks, switching regulators? Uh, are you using specific <laughs> MCUs? Um, Let's go I'm dirty. curious how you've innovated on the IC front. <laughs> well, the, the short Let's answer is... everyone, but, but seriously, I, I'm curious. Uh, the, the, the short answer is the focus of this first one was all about light. And so uh, if, if our yeah, first yeah. product is successful... I, I think that the, one of the key focuses for the second one, other than putting healing light frequencies, is going to be all about EMF. And that's actually why I want to connect with folks like yourself is um, that's where I want my head to be is to really get deeper and understand EMFs a lot better and understand what we could do, uh, whether it's harmonizing or blocking or changing at the IC level. It's, there's little choices we could make. So that, that that's actually an area that I'm growing into. Um, we... The kind of the big the big things we did for EMFs are mostly just in being able to have the radios be off by default, and so that was the main way. Is the Wi-Fi uh, is just going to be off by default, and only when you need to go browse or you need to go download or you go need to do something, then we turn on the radios. And so the, the basic idea is, why do you need to have the, uh, the Wi-Fi on all of the time? Uh, and then also we made it so that way. You can use uh, an Ethernet cable through the USB-C port with uh, the dongles. So that way you can just be wired. So you have no wireless at all. But uh, we, we haven't done... It's, 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 it's got less EMF than an iPad when we, we tested it. But we haven't, to be honest, done 
some like something that's like made it so much better that's what's going to come in our second generation to be honest i'm, I'm all ears for what, what are some of the things we could do yeah we'll have to have a conversation i, I definitely uh, i'm curious and maybe i can convince some of my friends to to hop on board that know even more than me but aren't as you know biologically versed but it's it's great i, I saw the smart airplane mode that you have and really it's yeah, that's an easy win, I think. And people don't understand. I mean, I'm always like, you know, when you're at home, why do you why do you have your your cellular data on? You have your Wi-Fi on and you know, you're not even using your phone. Like just turn that off. If you're on if you're on Wi-Fi, you should never have your cellular data on. So there's a quick tip. Um and then yeah, if you're not using anything on internet, um just turn the Wi-Fi off too, but the ease of use for the hardwiring in that's really great because i just had to buy a bunch of adapters for ethernet uh, cables and it's definitely a pain in the ass the other thing i'm curious about and something i've thought about a lot recently is based on what ryan and i talked about yesterday with jack is two two prong plugs so like just ungrounded plugs so if, if you can make like three prong plug grounded cables for both the ipad and the laptop that's a big win, I think, because if you use that thing when you're charging it on two prong ungrounded plug, you're getting blasted with electric fields. So that's maybe my one request that I'll share online. <laughs> Dude, it's it's. I think that's where I get excited about what we're doing. Is um, I find it amazing the folks who make blue blockers and things like that, and God bless them. But because we're actually changing the actual computer if we're able to survive as a company and be successful we could innovate across the stack to your point it's like we could change the standard for the cables and the 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 power block because that yeah to your point that's a big cause and if we could and so i i'm fascinated by what we can do across the entire stack the case that comes with it the, the actual wi-fi can we can we change instead of it radiating in every direction is there any way we can have it only radiate towards your wi-fi router and not actually the person there and so um, i i i can get ahead of myself sometimes uh, so I, I, it takes a lot of focus to be able to do this but yeah it's exciting no i mean i think all that's good i mean those i mean it's all i mean these are the thoughts that need to happen because where we're at now it's like you said when you were pitching the damn thing to people that are already in the space is like there is no drive or at least little drive for real innovation like you were expecting on on a high level. And it makes sense once you kind of understand the way like uh, crony capitalism works and stuff like that. But it, it, it's, it is a big deal because while there's so many, like you were saying with the blue blockers, there's so many good mitigation techniques out there. Like I got the red bulbs up here, got like UVA bulb over there. Um, I got Iris on my computer, but you're actually going for the root of the source of the problem. And it's like, what doors do that? Does that also open up? Because on a high level, when you're having like, especially when it comes to EMF, like we had that discussion yesterday, Tristan, there's so much that's a problem that it's almost impossible for mitigation to get you ahead. Um, especially if you live in a city, like if you live in a city, it's like 110 times harder than where you're at, Tristan, like out in a smaller town. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you are one of those people that you have a family, you're in the suburbs, it's a little better, but it's like, yeah, where, where could this take us? I feel like this is a real good crack in the door of potential. And so I'm hoping all the best for it because 
it really could change fundamentally a lot of the ways hopefully people view technology because the way it is now, it's like you said, it's geared to hardwire you to want to use it constantly. All the social apps are geared to keep you there. And so everything's fighting against your biology. So you have to like beyond willpower and cognizance, there's no way you can really get ahead. There's very on a, on a higher level because so many people are just going to fall into the pit. So I'm excited to see where all this stuff goes. I know Tristan, you want to get into the nitty-gritty. I'm just kind of rambling so I can get some two cents in because I'm not. I'm hardly a tech guy. No, no. I mean that's it's great, and I think we covered it. And there's still a lot to come, so we'll save that maybe for an offline discussion. But yeah. It's so great that we can create a solution that, yeah, makes it, and then it's not a net negative, right? Like you're saying, it could actually be a positive. Hey, we could solve this myopia issue from everyone just staring at a blue lit screen and, you know, save our children. And that's what's most important at the end of the day. So I guess, you know, what what stage is everything at right now? And, and what are your biggest hurdles to kind of get the laptop or, you know, get things in mass production? Because I know it can be, I mean, it's such a pain in the ass working like what you what is called low volume in semiconductors, um, you know, compared to like Apple, uh, who has billions of units of run rate every, you know, couple months. So it's um, yeah, I'm curious, you know, where everything's at right now. And then what are some of the biggest hurdles, you know, in the short term? This episode is brought to you by Wyoming based my new apparel company that is focused on providing high quality natural fiber based products using 100% US supply chains. Our first two products, the 100% wool everyday beanie and 100% wool rib sweater are proudly made right here in Wyoming using local wool. The wool is low itch, high quality and durable, naturally antimicrobial and way better for your health and the health of the planet. If you want to support a local U.S. brand and are tired of supporting woke outdoors companies that shill plastics, check us out at wyomingbase.com and pre-order your sweater and beanie today. I don't think people appreciate enough um, how expensive uh, electronics is when you're at really low volumes and also how prohibitive. Yep. Yeah. You know, don't talk to me unless you you want to, you want a hundred thousand or a million of these. So, um, where we're at now is we're basically scaling production towards our first uh, batch of thousand that we're aiming to to build and to and deliver at uh, kind of the end of the spring, and so um, where we're at now is basically starting to come out into the world, get the word out, and get pre-orders for this first batch, um, and that's kind of what is going to allow us to scale is to be able to get pre-orders, build a batch, then pre-orders to build a bigger batch, and then you can start scaling. From there, um, the biggest hurdle is essentially two things. It's getting the word out. Um, that we've, we've been in the shadows just working in a corner trying to work on this, and now we're, we're coming out. And the second is, um, you know, the price is high for something uh, like this at this low volume. and It's got new technology. And so it's being able to hit the unit counts such that our manufacturers will continue to produce and work with us because they need to be able to hit. So we, we need to be able to hit kind of fifteen to 20,000 units to be able to have a sustainable business that can then, we can then put that money back into making a difference on EMFs, making a difference in making the laptop. And so it's kind of, it's kind of this starting difficult. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've lived in that world, right? And I could tell you even like 10,000 units, 50,000 unit opportunities for someone in the semiconductor world, yeah, we just don't care, right? Because you have, you got bigger fish to fry. So I would ignore emails like that. And it's salespeople don't follow up, you know, it's mass market, it's startup level and it's tough. And I actually was surprised. I'm not going to lie. I thought your product was going to be even more expensive because I know how the volume game works. So I think it's pretty reasonable. I mean, hey, there's literally nothing out there that is a net positive for your health or even neutral. Everything is a massive net negative. So if you're talking about a couple hundred dollars more or whatever in terms of price for something that's going to be you're using every day, I mean, that's, and especially given the market prices of everything today, to me, it's not really actually that expensive at all. So I think people do, who are listening to this, do need to take into account, like when you hit those volume breaks, like Anjan said, is it's massive. And that's, that's the best part of it is that when you grow, you can bring costs down. But right now as a low volume, it's, it's really cost prohibitive. And that comes with anything. I mean, I'm trying to, to launch like an apparel brand right now and the, we're in the hundred uh, or 50 to 100 unit range. And it's like, yeah, well, there's no margin there. There's no margin at all. And you kind of just have to have to bite it. But people need to appreciate that when you're starting a business is that it is really challenging. So, um, yeah, keep that in mind, folks. Support support the solution that we all need is more important than a couple hundred dollars. I mean, that's what investors would also put in my face. They're like, oh, to do consumer electronics, the scale needs to be millions of units. It's going to be so expensive for you to, it, no, first, no one is going to work with you. And even if you're somehow lucky enough to convince some manufacturers to work with you, it's going to be so expensive. And my whole point is like, what's the price of your health? Like, some, we got to start somewhere. It's kind of like Tesla. They started exactly. the high end with the Roadster and enough people wanted the company to exist and they believed in the future. They uh, they got scale and they brought the cost down. That's what I, I believe we do is we can folks who really believe in this and care about this, buy into this, and then start bringing the cost down such that it can get into the millions of units for all lots of kids out there. So. It's definitely the path. I mean, I actually, I, I was like, uh, along with what Tristan was saying, um, I was like actually shocked at for to, to my, like, I thought it was going to be way more expensive than it was. Like, it's actually like pretty for what it is. Like, it's actually totally reasonably priced in my opinion. Like, so I'm super excited to see what you guys do with like the laptops and stuff. I, I don't even care that I got a new laptop. Like the minute you guys have those, I'll throw this one in the freaking garbage and smash it with a hammer. Cause like, I'll, I'll gladly like tune in for that. I, and I was even thinking like, you know, I need to get my gift. I need to get gifts for my nieces this, this next year. So like your tablets, like perfect. Cause they freaking carry those things around like candy. And it's like, it's like exactly what you said. What is the price of health? And people don't realize what it is until it's gone, but it's hella expensive. And it doesn't matter what you're paying in premiums on your insurance because it's, it always is going to take a toll and it's just a matter of time. So you got to be proactive now. And so hopefully like what you said with like that, you know, higher, higher, higher ticket item that hopefully enough people get interested that we can continue and like make this a real make movement it because it's, it's, it's never been more needed. Yeah. That's, I think that's the key question we're asking society. Like, can a new computer company that's decentralized that cares about health exist and service? Yes.
Definitely. We need to opt out, right? It's going to start. It's going to be a pain. You've you've already gone through, you know, five, six years of, of this. It's incredible, your perseverance, your motivation, and now you're at that stage. And, you know, I, I definitely know that this will be a success because there's more and more people valuing these things every day. That's why we do what we do here. That's why we post what we do online. And, and it is, it's accelerating, right? Like circadian health is definitely becoming more and more discussed. Um, I mean, like Huberman is talking about it now and all these, you know, big, big influential people. So they just need to connect the dots now. So I, I'm definitely very bullish on on everything that's kind of outside the de- uh, the centralized world. And I, I think all those jackasses that kind of gave you smug looks are going to be kicking themselves in like five to 10 years and trying to play catch up. And yeah, it, it might end up being something like what happened in the in the EV world whatever you think of that. Um, but it, it's a good kind of example of, of how things go. So Anjan, thank you so much. Daylightcomputer.com is the website where people can pre-order, correct? Is there any? Is there anywhere else, um, any other information you'd like to share with folks? So that'll be a pre-order now. And then that's for the tablet only. Um, and that will be shipped uh, in spring, correct? Yeah, late spring. So um, we're the, that first batch. Uh, we need to get to a thousand units, uh, that's, uh, so we're basically making it available for pre-order by uh, Daylight Computer Duck. Yeah, just thank you for having me on. Super exciting talking about this, and I think the the, just the possibility just compounds on itself because once you have your own computer, guess what? You don't have the same incentives Apple and Google have on the software side. So instead of having protecting their app stores and their payment rails you can actually start to have a decentralized stack part of the OS. So maybe that's a future conversation, but I think it's, it's, you can, it starts compounding on a lot of different rails. I'm just excited to bring this out there and thank you for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've looked in like star nine labs, but they make like kind of like decentralized, uh, computing. Well, I, yeah, I have to, to, we've had them, uh, Matt Hill on the podcast. It's incredible. And people don't realize how centralized like cloud software computing is. And, and start nine is kind of the only, um, solution I've seen that's fully decentralized. So it, it's maybe that's a marriage waiting to happen. But last question is if people want to invest, you know, is there a way to get in uh, direct contact with you or, you know, obviously capital, things like that. Um, maybe people are interested in, in helping kind of bridge this gap and push you forward. Yeah. If people are interested to invest, then they can email me at Anjan, A-N-J-A-N at daylightcomputer.com. Um, that's probably the best way to get in touch by email and we can go from there. Especially looking Amazing. for people who are part of the All right, community. folks. Well, you know what to do now. Uh, sorry. What was that? Just uh, health investors who are aligned. I think that's a key part of us being able to build a good sustainable business as investors are, share the same values. 100%. So you know what to do, folks. Go to daylightcomputer.com, check out the tablet, get a pre-order in, and yeah, start using technology that is uh, not going to destroy your health. That's uh, I'm so excited about this. So excited they came on, Anjan. Thank you so much. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Decentralized Radio.